So we're on a journey through the book of Matthew over the course of four weeks. This is week number three, so you don't have a whole lot to catch up on. If you missed the first two, you can watch those messages. There's bookmarks out in the lobby. You can catch up while we're reading through the book uh, over this month. My name is Aiden. I'm the associate pastor of Outreach. Uh, It's my pleasure to be with you here, even as we're focusing on your kingdom come, that part of the prayer, your will be done. We're saying, not my will, but God's. Seeing where God might be asking us to surrender to his will for the advancement of his kingdom. Uh, I I just... uh, think of a text message I got last night, the advancement of the kingdom. Um, Some of you might know Cliff McKean. He uh, attends our first service and leads a Bible study. He's in the Dominican Republic right now, and he sent me a message um, that saying, hey, they were on a prayer walk yesterday, and uh, God showed up, and like seven people dedicated their lives to Christ, and he said it was like like this hunger. Like as he was talking with one person, and there was a translator there, uh, that he was sharing about the gospel, and someone would overhear the conversation, and they would just walk up and be like, wait, what are you talking about? And then he would share with them. And then so like God was just on the move and there was a hunger. And Cliff was quick to say, look, this is not me at work. This is not, you know, he was with the people on the team, but this is God. Um, so if you're a no Cliff or if you just want to be part of his ministry, continue lifting him up in prayer um, as he works there on a short-term mission trip in the Dominican Republic. I think about Steve and Elaine Straw who were with us yesterday, Sunday afternoon, about the kingdom coming, and we watched a documentary called The Ends of the Earth, and how um, the ministry they're a part of through the Christian and Missionary Alliance, through our denomination, they're part of Marketplace Ministries, and he's a pilot, and so he flies uh, medical uh, things, uh, actually, I don't know exactly what he flies, uh, patients, medicine, uh, all over Africa and Gabon, but the, the documentary we watched was talking about bringing missionaries and bringing supplies to people who have no access to it, otherwise you'd have to drive for days, and, and the thing that caught me the most, that as I was listening there, watching the documentary, uh, they would show up in one village, and then people would hear about it, like, three days' journey away, and, then, and they would find out, oh, there's people sharing this new teaching about a new way of life. And, and even on the documentary, the, people, the, 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 the villagers would be like, yeah, I knew that we're in darkness, and we have such fighting within us. It's like, I need this new teaching. And so they would walk for days just to hear the gospel message. And they would say, please, will you, bring, will you bring this message to my village because my people need this. There's a hunger for the gospel. I think about um, last week, I went to, uh, not last week, two weeks ago, I went to a conference with the Christian Missionary Alliance. We have uh, every year at the beginning of the year a conference called Converge, which is all about missions and missions work. And as the outreach pastor, I was like, I should probably go and see what this is all about. It was amazing to be able to hear from International workers that serve all over the country, no, all over the world, correction, it's in the country and the world, um, of God on the move, some of the struggles to learn and, and ask the question, how can we, as a church that's part of this, it's a global movement we're a part of, the Christian Missionary Alliance, that, that is seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. Like, what is our role in that, to think through those things? Um, and the main question that they asked for that week was, is it worth it? We have something called the Great Commission Fund, where we send thousands, if not millions of dollars to this one pool that sends people out. And this is how we open up new, uh, new regions that we're sending new missionaries to. It's like, is it worth it? 
missionaries that are like leaving everything behind to go? Is it worth it? While we were out there, we heard about a, a tourist attraction that was like two minutes away from the hotel we were staying in. Um, so we were like, okay, we had a free afternoon and uh, found this place called the Field of Corn. So we thought, hey, why don't we go check out this Field of Corn? Let's see what this is because I've seen lots of Fields of Corn. Maybe this is something different about this one. And it was. You can put the picture up there. It was a field where there were 139 concrete ears of corn uh, just planted. And it was not like some beautiful spot. Like there was like this four-lane road and like these office buildings. I tried to cut those out of the picture. Um, and to get the perspective of the size of this corn, uh, the next picture there, of course, we had to get our picture taken with some corn. These things are like seven feet tall. And uh, as we were leaving, uh, we said what most people say as they leave roadside attractions. Well, that was weird. <laughs> who did that? And we were like Googling it. It's like, who paid for that? Right? Someone thought it was worth it to make concrete ears of corn and plant them in the ground. And we found out it was actually paid for by a grant from the local city of, I think it was Dublin is the city there. I was like, what? That, that this is a, what you value? Okay, I, I don't know. But there was a cost associated with it. Um, and someone thought it was worth it. So today, we're talking about something different than the cost of planting concrete corn. Um, the cost of discipleship, the kingdom specifically, the advancement of God's kingdom here, and the cost of discipleship. You know, we are all used to paying costs for things, right? I, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, for whatever reason, when I think about paying costs, aside from like, okay, necessary costs of like, I got to pay to keep my house, I got to pay electricity, I got to pay, you know, all of those basic things. So what's the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh yeah, entertainment. Like, Paying a cost, we're used to paying a t cost of like, okay, I want to watch a show. Someone says, hey, this is a great show, or this is a great movie, and I expect it to be on Netflix, and I go to Netflix, and I open it up, and it says, oh, you got to rent it for $4.99. I'm like, oh, I don't want to pay more money for this. It's really, it's just five $5, so it's not a big deal, right? But like, oh, I don't want to pay the cost for that. Is it worth it? I don't know the movie. Maybe. We did that. I, like, honestly, I think, maybe once in the past year. I'm like, okay, this is documentary. I really want to see it. Paid five bucks. We're starting to watch it. I fall asleep like halfway through it. It's like, oh, geez. It's like, that's all right. We'll watch it the next night. I forget the next night. Come back like two days later and I'm like, I want to watch it and say like, $5.99 or $4.99. It's like, oh, it expired after 24 hours. Was it worth it? Probably not worth the cost. Paying down debt is another thing that comes to mind. We think about paying down costs, right? So um, whenever Emily and I were first married, we were planning a trip across the country, and we were looking out different, different spots to go through, like North and South Dakota, make it out to Yellowstone, uh, and then circle our way back. And uh, we were running into some challenges of like scheduling and finding available hotels. And we, we ended up saying, okay, we've saved all this money for this trip. We really, really want to go to this trip. And then we you know, were kind of sitting there looking at it. It's like, Oh, my school debt. If we took all of that money and applied it to my school debt, we would be, like, debt-free. So <laughs> we did the very, very super exciting thing. Like, okay, this is when you know you're an adult, right? <laughs> Say, uh, well, we canceled the trip, paid off the final parts of my school loans, and we went camping. <laughs> so <laughs> we went to Niagara Falls. <laughs> um, but it was, it, was a, it was a good trip anyways, but it wasn't quite um, Yellowstone. 
So there's a cost, right? What, and there's a thing about like that sacrifice that we made. Uh, what were we doing there? We were laying aside what I wanted right in that moment. Like in that moment, like I wanted to go to Yellowstone. I wanted to travel the country. I wanted to go. We didn't have any kids. Like this is a great season of life. We should do this. But I laid aside what I wanted right in that moment for something that I wanted even more, which is the freedom to not have to pay these school loans still. And I think that's some of that essence of, of what we're going to talk about today, of like, are we able to lay aside some of the things we want now in order to get the things that we want most? And it turns out we do this, like, throughout our lives uh, frequently. No matter what stage of life you're in, I think of my daughter who is nine, um, maybe a week and a half ago, she just got on this kick of where she's like, I want to fish. Now, that might be, like, what she wants right now, so maybe this is a bad story, but... She, Hang with me. She's like, I want to fish. And she had a name for it already. It's like his name. Actually, she asked Alexa. She's Alexa, what's a good name for a fish? And then Alexa said, well, some people make jokes like sushi, but I prefer bubbles. And so from that moment on, she's like, bubbles. And as soon as it had a name, I think like, the, there's no going back. Like She's bound and determined to get this fish. I'm like, all right, well, if you really want this fish, you're going to have to spend your own money on it. You know what happens last time we got a fish? This thing's dead, right? So um, she's not here. She didn't hear that part. Sorry. <laughs> um, so like, if you want it, you're going to spend your own money. So she counted the cost. She's like, okay, I've got $15. This was money she earned from uh, over the summer doing some chores. She got paid for it. She counted the cost and said, okay, what I want is this fish more than what I have right now, this money. So yesterday we went to the pet store, and um, we now you can meet Bubbles here is the newest family of our member. Uh, he is actually, yeah, she's wanted a purple beta fish. So even as a child, you know, she kind of counted the cost. What did she want most? She really wanted this fish, all right? But even as we grow up, education. If you're in school, we're paying a cost. If you're in higher education, you're paying a cost through your time, all right? The time that you're putting in studying and learning, that's a, that's, that's a toll on you. Maybe, um, you want to make a good impression on somebody. You want to impress a guy or a girl, you're going to pay a cost. It's like, oh, I took him out to dinner. Oh, you know, I paid for this. I want to make a good impression, or I got some new clothes. You want to have a good um, future for my children. There's a cost that I would set aside things now for what I want most for them. Or if you're considering getting married, there's a cost. So like joining your life with another person and laying aside your desires to put forward the desires of someone else. Buying a house, there's a cost. So we are very familiar with paying a price for things of what we want most. And then we say something like, well, what if I say I want to be a disciple of Jesus? It's not all that different, that there is a cost saying, I want to I join you, Jesus, in the advancement of your kingdom here on earth. It's not just going to be like completely free. There's, there's a cost. And that's exactly what we're looking into today um, is what is that cost of discipleship? So we're going to actually look at three different questions re related to that. The first one is what is this actual cost of discipleship? What does Jesus say? And then why would we want to pay this cost once we find out what it is? And then the end of it, we hopefully can kind of make it a little practical and say, well, what are we actually saying that we're going to do with this? So we're going to start today uh, reading. We're in Matthew 16, uh, right here kind of in the middle of the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus teaching to his disciples. So if you've got your Bible, you can uh, read with me. Open to Matthew 16. We'll be hanging out there um, for the whole service. 
Uh, jumping around some other places, but you can primarily right here in Matthew 16, starting in verse 24. I'll just read the whole scripture for today, which says this. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And God add blessing to the reading of his word. So the first question, you know, what is the cost of discipleship? And before we answer that question super directly, I kind of want to look at the context. Like, what is Jesus, what's going on in the gospel of Matthew? Uh, what's going on in Jesus' life right before he said these things? And if we back up just a little bit to verse 13, uh, we find that Jesus was in the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples this question. He said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples, they, they threw out some different answers. Some say um, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then he said to them, and he made it personal, he said, yeah, that's what people say. But he said, who do you say I am? And this is Simon Peter who replied, and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, son of Arjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's like, if you know anything about the Bible and you know anything about Peter, like, Peter, this is the guy who, like, gets it wrong, like, half the time, right? And so, like, Peter's like, I got the answer here. You're the Christ. Like, raising his hand in class. He's like, yes, I got it right. And then Jesus even, like, affirms him and says, yes, and I tell you, you know, I'm going to build my church on this rock, and you're going to prevail against the gates of hell. Like, how, G how Peter would have been feeling in that moment of, like, hey, I got this. Now Jesus is revealing his identity of who he really is as the Christ. Then immediately after that, it says this. It says, from that time, Jesus revealing his identity to the disciples, like fully disclosed, look, yeah, you've got this. I'm the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. So if you imagine these disciples being like, okay, Jesus just told us this awesome thing, like he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, we're going to Jerusalem, it's going to be awesome. Kingdom of hell is not going to prevail against it. And then Jesus says to them, yeah, this is what it looks like. It looks like death, but on the other side, trust me, there's, there's life. And then he says to his disciples, they're literally like walking on the road to Jerusalem. Jesus talking about his death, talking about his crucifixion. And he says to his disciples, okay, if, if you want to come with me, if you're going to follow after me on this road, this is what it's going to take. 
deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So I don't think we can kind of like play games with this and say there's some sort of like allegorical, you know, what is Jesus asking us to do? I think there's some really hard things that Jesus is asking of his disciples. So if I'm going to be a disciple, what's this cost look like? And I think it's mirrored. Uh, if you were reading along with us in the reading plan, we read through uh, Matthew 8 earlier this week where it, it talks about some other people coming up to Jesus and saying, hey, I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. Uh, this is Matthew 8, uh, verse 19, where it says, a scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. What was Jesus' response? It's kind of strange. He says, well, foxes have holes. The birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man, he has no place to lay his head. It's like, Jesus, what are you saying? He's saying, well, if you're going to follow me, this might not be what you think it is. This might not look like what you're used to. He goes on. It says, another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first, I'm just going to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. It's like, Jesus. Not easy things that he's saying. And, and then later on, in Matthew 19, Jesus shares about the rich young man or the rich young ruler that came up to him and he's asking, he's asking Jesus, he says, teacher, what, what do I have to do? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, but if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And then um, this, this man said to Jesus, he said, which ones? And Jesus said, He's listing off some of the Ten Commandments here. He says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think at this point, the guy's probably like, hey, I think I've done that. I haven't killed anybody. I'm honoring my father and mother. You know, I'm not committing adultery. I, I'm not lying or bearing false witness against people. So the young man said to him, all these I have kept. And he's like, well, it's probably like, hey, I'm good, right? What do I still lack? I'm good. But Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell all you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then look what he says. He says, and then come, follow me. And then in Mark's account of this, it says that right before he said that to him, that Jesus looked at him and loved him. So, I think in each of these three cases, these three instances, you know, what is Jesus doing here? He sees like, these are hard things. I think he's looking into the hearts of those who would seek to follow him, and he's looking there and he's saying, okay, what, what, what really has your soul? What are you really giving your allegiance to? What is that, if you're talking like laying down your crowns, what is that crown that you are wearing that's like, hey, maybe even out of pride, say, this is my thing, and he's saying, no, that's the thing that's in my place, as Jesus was saying. That's the thing you need to set down so that you can pick up what I have for you. You know, foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Maybe that scribe was like, well, comfort was his thing. 
Let me go bury the dead first. Let me, let me, maybe family was the thing for him. Or maybe it was just being understood. And, or like he, His family wouldn't have understood why. What are you doing? This is your father's funeral, and you're not there? And the rich young ruler, God looked at his heart and saw, it's the stuff that you have. If you really want to be my disciple, you've got to like ruthlessly just eliminate that stuff that you're worshiping. That's not me. So denying self, I wouldn't take any of these as prescriptive, saying like, okay, well, now we've got to go be uncomfortable, leave our homes. We've got to, that may not be the thing for you. Okay, we've got to leave family behind and go to another country and serve overseas. That might not be the thing that has your heart. I'm not saying you have to go sell all of your things. It's not, it's not a prescription that everybody has to do these things exactly, but it's descriptive of what's in your heart. And so I think this idea of denying self is, is just a, a posture of willingness to surrender everything. Whatever Jesus would demand, are we willing to hold that loosely for when he says, actually, you know what, that's kind of raised up to a, a, a place higher than me. So Jesus says, you got to surrender this. But, right, Jesus doesn't stop right there of just this surrender, denying self. That's, that's not the whole thing, right? He says, okay, if anyone would come after me, that's just the first half. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. You know, I, uh, this past week kind of had a little mind shift on what this means to take up, take up your cross because I, I think a lot of times, um, as uh, an article that I read that really kind of helped me shift my thinking on this, that, that we, we use that expression. I mean, you may have heard someone say, well, that's just my, that's, that's, that, that, that's my cross to bear. Or, this is my burden, you know, that's my cross to bear. And, and sometimes people throw it around jokingly of like, well, you know, I, I work in an office uh, in, in my cubicle mate, you know, he's got really bad breath. And like, that's my cross to bear. You know, or to even people using more serious things of like a, a, a long-term sickness. Say, well, that's just the cross I have to bear. But I don't know that Jesus is telling us to take these weights on, a par- on ourselves as if this is the work of God's kingdom in us, of just, you know, kind of bucking up and bearing the hardships of the world. I, I don't think that's what God's saying here, what Jesus is saying. And there's something different. I want to read to you a little bit from this article. It was written by a woman named Christy Gambrell. Um, and, and she wrote this because, again, in this context, Jesus is literally on the road to Ju- Jerusalem to be crucified. Kind of digs into, like, what is this crucifixion all about? What is this taking up your cross in, in a very literal sense? And she says this. She says, Crucifixion was reserved specifically for offenders who had rebelled against Authority. So, to take up one's cross referred to the practice of forcing a condemned person to carry the cross beam to his execution site. This showed that although he had rebelled against authority, the condemned person was now so completely conquered that his last act in life would be to carry the instrument of his demise to the place of his death. It was a show of complete and utter submission. A call to bear one's cross as part of following Jesus then is a call to be as submitted to Christ as the condemned criminal was to his death. And this part will be on the screen for you. It says, she wrote this, she says, therefore, 
when Jesus calls for self-denial and cross-bearing, he's claiming authority. Following Christ means disowning the self and giving allegiance to him instead. And it means giving him allegiance down to the very depths of our being. So, what is this cost of discipleship? Surrender everything? Total allegiance to Jesus? Yeah, I think this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. If you're going to follow me, if you would be my disciple, nothing short of everything. So this is no small thing he's asking. Which then leads me to my next question, right? So if this is the cost of discipleship, why would we pay this cost? Why would the disciples willingly, many of them giving their lives for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel? Let's keep reading. Verse 25. Jesus says this. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what I see from this, okay, saving life leads to losing, but losing life for the sake of Jesus leads to, to finding life is that what Jesus is telling me here is that there is no other way that leads to true life. And, and I, I think that what he's talking about of like, okay, if you're saving your life, if you are like that rich young ruler, he was holding on to, he went away sad because he was, thought he was saving his life. He was holding on to the things of the world. It's like Peter saying to Jesus, no, you can't go get crucified. And Jesus saying, no, you are not setting your things on the things of, of God, your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. So saving life is that setting our minds on the things of man. And therefore, we lose it. Like the rich young ruler can imagine like when, when he died and when he came and stood before Jesus and he recognized him and he said, oh, you're the man who asked me to sell everything and follow you. And he sees Jesus in his full glory. Like, I, I can just imagine, maybe it is just my imagination, but just the remorse of that moment of like, he had the opportunity to partner with Jesus in his earthly ministry, and he blew it all away because he valued the things of the world. But think about how he would have gained such life if he had lost his life, what he considered his life, for the sake of Jesus. And so, what is this idea of losing life for Jesus for the sake leads to finding it? That's just like that surrendering everything. Leads to finding Jesus and finding God. What does Jesus say that true life is? He says this in John 7, that eternal life is this, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Life is knowing Jesus. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Or Paul writes it again in Galatians. He says, yet I have been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. I no longer live. It's a complete surrender. It's a total allegiance to Jesus. That's the first reason why I see. It's because there's no other way. And the second reason why is because this is exactly 
the price that was paid for us. This is an exact example of what Jesus did. He said, okay, I'm going before you. Literally, he's going to the cross, and he is giving everything. So Jesus surrendered everything to the Father. He gave the Father absolute and total allegiance, which led him to the cross. So Jesus gave his life for our sake so that we might find true life in him. And so he requires nothing less than what he gave himself. This is what was paid for us. And the third reason, we'll pick up in verse 26. It says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So what's the reason I see Jesus is coming in his full glory? So what, because one day we will stand before God. And Jesus says this, again, what you would have read this week uh, in the reading plan in Matthew 7. Again, some hard truths from Jesus. He says this, Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me you evildoers. So I wonder, you know, what's going on here in this case of these, these people that were, by the power of the Spirit, by Jesus' name, doing these amazing works of ministry, and then come before Jesus, and he's like, look, this was not the will of the Father. So I wonder if something in their life, even like that, 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 that seat of honor, may have been their ministry. They say, look, you have valued prophesying in my name and casting out demons and all of this ministry, all of these good things, you upheld that as your God. And that won't save you. It's one day we'll stand before God and what does he look for? He looks for absolute, total allegiance to the will of the Father. So, what do we do with this? Say, Aiden, okay, I'm sitting here listening to you. Maybe you would say this. I'm like, what are you asking me to do? Like, you want me to, like, everything? Like, total allegiance? Like, what is this? What does this look like? And um, I don't think I can tell you what you need to do. I can't be here and say, stand in front of you and say, well, this is the thing. You know, this is the work of God and his spirit just like Jesus looked at them, looked at the rich young ruler and loved him. Jesus is standing before you today by his spirit, looking at your heart and loving you, and by his spirit putting, maybe, in your mind, something now. He would say, you know, this thing, this is the thing I want you to surrender. Maybe not because it's bad. Maybe it's an area of sin. But it's up to Jesus. Maybe you're not getting anything right now from God, or maybe you're like, oh, no, I don't know what that thing is. But as followers of, of Jesus, as disciples of him, he invites us to just continually, just to examine our hearts. 
and to partner with the Spirit to examine our hearts and to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. This is that Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious ways. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That God will do this. I think of Psalm 51, uh, verses 10. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then jumping to verse 12, he says this. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And listen to this. He says, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's it right there, this idea of surrender, a willing spirit that God, whatever it is you ask of me, total allegiance. I'll say, okay, yes, I'm here with you. All right, so that's the first part. What do we do? Examine our hearts. Second part, I don't think these are like huge areas of, maybe God's put something big on your heart. Maybe he has some huge call on your life to, to go and uh, join the work of the Christian Missionary Alliance overseas, but I think the way that God often moves is in these very small steps. Small steps of obedience that lead you on this path of total allegiance. Like with the disciples on that day, when, when Jesus said to them, they weren't at Jerusalem yet, he wasn't on, on there like carrying the, the, the cross beam of his cross yet. He's saying, but no, if you're going to follow me, this is where it will go. I'm just asking you to take one step with me today. I'm just asking you to trust me for this. And I wonder if Jesus is doing the same thing today. It's just like, look, there may be something big in the future, but today, just take one step with me. So I wonder what that small step would be. You know, maybe it is the step of salvation. If you're here and you're like, you know, I'm kind of checking things out. And I didn't know it cost everything to follow Jesus. I don't know if I want to do that. But yet there's maybe something alluring to this idea of finding what true life is in Christ. That's the Spirit drawing you to Christ. And so I wonder if that step would be, you know what? I give in to your love, Jesus. To say, I've lived life my way and it hasn't certain, certainly hasn't brought me life. Not eternal life. To turn the corner and say, okay, Jesus, I will follow you and trust you that you'll show me and lead me in, these, lead me in the paths of your righteousness for your name's sake. That might be it today for you. And if that's you, you can come pray with someone. We'd love to pray with you after the, after the service. But I also think like growing in Christ, our spiritual disciplines of how we grow and connect with Jesus by the Spirit, they have a cost associated with them. Are we willing to pay those costs? Prayer, reading the Bible, this is a cost of setting aside time. Maybe it's a cost of sleep. Say, so, well, if I'm actually going to step into doing some spiritual disciplines and actually like learning more or actually spending more time in prayer, I'm going to have to set my alarm earlier because you know the kids are going to wake up and they're probably going to be crying. Or they're going to say, change me. Or they're going to say, like, feed me. Or that's my house, right? Once, once our youngest wakes up, like, anything quiet is done. This is going to cost time, sleep. Right? Cost of comfort. And saying, you know, Jesus saying, okay, well, Pastor Aaron was talking about fasting earlier. There is a discomfort in that. Maybe it's a discomfort in, you know, I'm not really comfortable in sharing faith stories or 
a, a verse with someone who's not a Christian. Well, maybe it's Jesus asking you to sacrifice that comfort for the sake of his kingdom advancing. That just like he wanted the rich young ruler to partner with him in ministry, but he was unwilling because he wasn't willing to pay the cost. Are we willing on those moments when Jesus says, hey, here's an opportunity for my spirit to go forward and then I know those, I feel it. I'm like, oh, okay, there's God doing something and I have that choice. Do I choose to step into it or do I just walk away? I'd like to say I always choose to step into it, but I don't because it's uncomfortable sometimes. Maybe it's the cost of money and giving and generosity or the call to tithe. That's a cost. Maybe God's calling you to take a step into one of these things. Um, Sanctification, like becoming more like Christ. There's a certain cost to this process of even a cost of giving up our right to privacy. Like, Adam, what do you mean, our right to privacy? Well, what is confession? When the scripture says to confess your sins to one another, there's a cost to that. We're giving up the right to be repaid for wrongs that have been done to us. That's the cost you pay when you forgive someone. Maybe God's putting something on your heart today. To be a disciple of Jesus, counting the cost means, you know what, I am going to let that go. I'm not going to hold that grudge. I'm going to forgive this person. Maybe it's giving up our right to decide what is right or wrong. That's obedience to Christ and to his word. As we were reading, uh, if you've been following along with the 40 days of prayer, this past week there was a statement that just kind of jumped off the page to me uh, on day 18, and uh, it's a quote by a theologian named Miroslav Wolf, who writes this. He says, there's something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you are unwilling to resolve. I'm like, oh, yeah. Has that been me? You know, we talk about the cost of discipleship. If the cost of my discipleship is just my, my own discomfort, I'm like, okay, I'll spend time praying for that. It's a cost of my time. But I'm not willing to go any further. You know, uh, that's not the type of disciple that I want to be. And so I read something like that, and it kind of cuts me. Yeah, there's been times I've done that. So if we're going to be part of answering that prayer, Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, then there's a certain aspect of it of like getting our hands dirty as well. Being on mission in the kingdom of God. I think of the story of the Good Samaritan and the cost and the sacrifices that he, he, he paid for a man who was lying bloody beside the road, right? It's this cost of, if we're gonna go do actually hands-on ministry, there's a cost of convenience. When something pops up that's like to care for someone, it's usually not like when you have a lot of time that you wanna just like, oh yeah, I didn't have anything planned, sure. I'll stop and help this person fix a flat tire. It's like, no, I am late and I'm going fast and I see something, I'm like, I should probably stop, I don't have time. There's a cost of convenience cost of time then, going out of my way. There's a cost of money, right? Giving to that cause or giving to help that individual. And the way I've seen this play out is uh, the team that has been helping with the Afghan family. There has been such a cost. Some of you who joined in that ministry financially, you paid the cost financially for it. Some of you, it was, it was 
the cost of time. Some of it's just like this cost of heart. I don't know how to explain it another way of just, you are putting your heart out there for the good of someone else, for their success, for their benefit, and it costs because it hurts when things don't go the way that you would want them to for, for someone. The cost of just being present, stepping into a situation that is hard, it's a cost. And then I think of the international workers that I spent some time with um, back at this, this conference a couple weeks ago. Several of them, when they got up to speak and they were telling their story, they said, well, after we raised our funding, then we sold everything we owned. Another person came up and said, well, yeah, we were ready to go, so we just sold everything we owned and then hopped on the plane. I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, what? I didn't really think through that part of international work of like, okay, when you're ready to go, like, you go. Think of in Luke, um, Jesus adds, adds to those, those like the, the, the scribe and the disciple who say, okay, I'm going to follow you. He adds a, a third person who says, okay, let me first go home and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, anyone who puts his hand to his plow, to the plow and looks back is not fit for the work. And I think that's what we see in our international workers. They are not looking back. They are selling everything. You know what happens when you're plowing and you look back? Your plow, it just goes like, all, it's not good plowing. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. The work of the ministry, there's a sense of like these international, they, have, they, have, they are not looking back. They're selling everything. It's a cost. They're sacrificing time with family. There's some, some international workers that after they retired, they stepped into international work and they said, yes, I know we will not be there with our grandchildren in the same way that we would be otherwise if we'd stayed in the States. Back to the question, is it worth it? And they answered a resounding yes. For the gospel to go forth and to be preached in lands where, where you could go to a city and live in that city your entire life and never cross paths with a Christian. They said, that's where we're going. Is it worth it? Yeah. Provide access for the good news, the salvation of the world through Jesus Christ. There's cost. And then in the documentary we were watching last Sunday, one of the, um, the women who was working in aviation ministry, her plane went down and she died. So many of these international workers, like they never know when they might give their life completely for the cost of the gospel. So at this time I want to invite the worship team to come back up and just kind of pause for a moment and say, okay, so what about you? Is there something? Just listed a whole bunch of different things. I wonder if, if Jesus now might be highlighting one of them and saying, you know, as he looks in your heart and loves you, and I think that's it right there. Why does he do this? Because he knows that it's for our good. He looks in our hearts and he loves us. And he says, look, your ultimate best, your the good that I have for you is on the other side of this sacrifice, if you only trust me. And, and I often think of like, what could be asked of me? I, I start to feel like I'm kind of like playing in the kiddie pool of faith, right? The things that I feel like I've sacrificed compared to others that have gone before me. And it's not about comparison, but it's about what does God have for you today? Maybe something he's been asking a long time and you're just now realizing that you need to surrender to his complete authority. 
So I challenge you to find what is that one thing and just over this week, just, just offer that as a prayer of surrender to him and say, Jesus, I give you authority over this in my life. Maybe it's your finances. Jesus, I surrender this to you completely and I give you authority over this. Would your will be done? Would not my will be done, but would your will be done? And again, it's not for our demise. It's because he loves us. It's for the opportunity, again, like that rich young ruler, the opportunity to partner with Jesus in the advancement of the kingdom. This is, what he, this is why. He wants to partner with us. So as we close today, I have a prayer I'm going to put up on the screen. Again, this was, came up in one of my devotional readings from this week. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a prayer of surrender. So I'll read it. If you feel like there's something you want to surrender or surrender your whole life to Jesus, you can pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it quietly. It doesn't matter to me. But let me read this. Read this over you. and invite you to join me in it. It says, I place my soul in your hands. I give it to you, my God with all the love of my heart because I love you. And for me, it's a necessity of love, this gift of myself, this placing of myself in your hands without reserve, in boundless confidence because you are my Father. So Jesus, would this be our posture today before you? whatever it is that you might have for us, that we would hold that loosely, that we might actually, that the kingdom would advance and go forth from State College Alliance Church because we are disciples who are willing to count the cost and not only count the cost and to consider the cost, but we are willing to give the cost of whatever it is that you call us to. To step in faith, to follow your lead, to trust that on the other side of what feels like death is actually life in you. Jesus, help us to see, to see that. Loosen our grasp on the things of the world, on the things of man, that we might then dwell on the things of God. Be willing to follow you wherever you go, even to Calvary. So Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it challenges us and that it so just is a way to true life found in it. So we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.